that's good. You came back. <laughs> I got a little cold, so I kept my coat on. Oh, Josh has an awesome CD in the back. Those of you who like his music, you should get it. It's really, really, it's really good. And I have uh, four teaching CD series in the back. They're 20 bucks. Or if you get four of them, they're 60. No, they're 80. See, <laughs> never mind. Just go get them if you want them. If you don't, I'll take them home. I'm good. Everybody all right? I want to read a verse of scripture to you from the Bible. In Matthew 16, out of uh, the message. Do you ever look at the message version? Do you have that back there to throw up on the screen? I know I'm throwing you a little bit of a curveball. You don't have to have it, but uh, it would be Matthew 16, 18. If you can, throw that up. Had a lot of fun this morning talking about the prophetic. It's really interesting. How are you doing tonight? You good? Yeah. Yeah, I could tell. Yeah. Awesome. While they're doing that, and if they can, it's okay. Here's how it goes in the message. And that's not all. That's a great message right there. I came from churches that said whatever we had was all there was to have, and I discovered uh, that that was not true. And that's not all. You will have complete access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. You're listening to that. Is that amazing? Who's amazed? No more barriers between heaven and earth or earth and heaven. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. Now, the way we normally hear these scriptures is um, actually, it was verse, verse 19. I'm sorry, I, I had written this in my Bible, so I got a little bit that wrong. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And, you know, we can read that and think, well, that's nice. But let me read the message again because I think it brings this to mind in a little bit different way. And really it only, actually, what I'm saying doesn't, what I'm, what I'm reading from the Bible affirms <laughs> what Adam was saying. <laughs> Let me read this again, and please do not, do not, I repeat, do not get excited. <laughs> and that's not all. You will have complete access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between 
heaven and earth, earth and heaven, a yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. And so contained in that verse of scripture are the keys of the kingdom. What are those keys? Yes and no. It's so simple, we walk right past it. I see that I have my work cut out for me tonight. (laughs) And the reason I put my coat on that stand is so that the coat won't fall. (laughs) Now, whatever I'm here, rule number one is have fun. Rule number two is read rule number one again. And I don't remember rule number three. And I really do believe this, that, that joy, enthusiasm, excitement, and fun is a manifestation of the kingdom of God. There ain't nobody up there mad. They will kick you out. That's not true. (laughs) Put a little mustard on that one, didn't I? (laughs) What this scripture is saying is, heaven's yes is waiting on your yes. We think we're waiting on heaven's yes. Well, what about no? Well, see, no, that's, that's the same way. When you uh, have trouble in your family that you need to say no to, there's already a no in heaven. And so what this is about is agreement. Basic agreement. We agree with heaven. Now, here's the problem. Things can be true that you don't benefit from. There can be a concurrent reality to our reality that is life-changing, but if you don't see it or access it, although it's there and readily available, it's just as though it doesn't exist at all. And that's the reality of the kingdom of God. That's the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Basic. Theology indicates that when Jesus died for you, rose from the dead for you, he provided every single thing you needed and will need in that one single act. His death, burial, and resurrection, that little season there. And yet people lack all the time. People go without all the time. It's, it's a lot like um, like radio waves. I mentioned this the other night. You know, right through this room right now, there's information flowing. There's music flowing. There's philosophical discussions flowing. There are directions flowing for lost people. There's information for people that desperately need it. But if you don't know it's there... If you can't capture it, you do without it. 
But it's there. It's available. Now, you don't make that. You simply tap into what is, if you know how, if you're equipped. And see, that's a picture of the realm of the heavens. Heaven is not bankrupt tonight. Heaven did not check with Washington, D.C. to see what ought to be going on in our culture financially or economically. Heaven is not worried about who the president's going to be in a certain way because there is a reality that we can live separately but in the midst of that whole culture as a completely different culture that reflects a different kingdom with uh, different resources. But, man, we've got to, you know, the proof's in the pudding. We've got to break into that place. You know, you know maybe you can't pay your taxes. Well, Jesus told Peter one time, well, go fishing, man. Go fishing? Yeah. Do what? Go down there and what first fish you pull out, look in its mouth. Look in its mouth. Look in its mouth. What's in there? Your tax payment. You know, honestly, I saw this the other day. Uh, some people don't think Jesse James died when the paper said he died. They think they staged all that. And that hidden all through Kentucky, Missouri, or somewhere are little treasure troves of, of his... Um, what he stole from those banks. You know, the Lord could tell you, hey, tell you what, go get in your four-wheel drive, go up to that oak tree, go 100 yards to the left, take your backhoe, go down 10 feet, there's a million dollars worth of gold right there. Now, you can say that's ridiculous, well, it's ridiculous to you. The Bible's ridiculous. Have you read that book? Well, Jesus, how are we going to pay our tax? Oh, you're going to just go fish. Just get that. Just reach in there. Which one should I grab? The first one. But we have to learn how to tap into the realm. But if we don't believe it's possible, we'll never do it. We'll just stay the way we are. We'll just stay the way we are. Uh, turn over to uh, John chapter 1. Adam told me not to apologize for my message tonight. So, I'm not going to. <laughs> no, actually, we had a little lunch the other day, and I've been doing this over 40 years. And I was, there were some young guys beginning to preach some, and it was a little feedback. And I gave them, I don't know how many different things, like 20 things of what not to do when you preach. Adam said I did all but one of them. <laughs> Last night, <laughs> the one I didn't do was cuss. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> no cussing. Cussing is not allowed. So, 
I'm not going to cuss tonight. That's not good. <laughs> this is the no cussing zone. <laughs> well, for me tonight, God <laughs> granting me mercy. I have heard some divine cussing, though, before, honestly. Uh, now, I'm not saying divine in origin, but the circumstance was divine. I laid hand on this little girl one time, and she got so shocked by the power of God that touched her. It's like she got disconnected. None of her body parts worked. It was like watching um, a robot that was plugged in, and the electrical power gave it all its motor function, and you just unplugged it and went, and she hit the deck and said, Cuss word! But see, that was real. And you know, uh, <laughs> you think I'm digging a deep hole. I know my way out. <laughs> Martin Luther said, the great reformer, he believed an honest cursing was more favorable to heaven than a fake praise. Yeah, and so I'm not, I'm not defending people using bad language, but I'm, what I'm saying is there's a reality that needs to emerge in our hearts and our lives, something authentic that will shake things up a little bit. Well, I got through that. That was brilliant. <laughs> I'm shocked at how that worked out so well. Oh, my. John chapter 1. Let's go to, uh, let's go to just verse 45. We're jumping in the middle of an episode here. But verse... 45 reads this way. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit or no guile. Well, Jesus' response indicates, and we'll see this a little bit later in the next couple of verses, indicates that he had somehow heard what Nathanael had said about him. That's fairly evident from the text, but the way it's written a little bit later, it, it sort of seems to confuse that. But Nathaniel basically is told, hey, we found the Messiah. He comes from Nazareth. And he says, man, there ain't nothing good coming out of Nazareth. Nothing good coming out of Campbellsville. No, Nazareth. Um, now, that indicated an honest response. You know, aren't you tired of all this political correctness? You know, this lack of, of just reality, just honesty. Just what do you really believe about this? You know, 
in, in Washington, I think you, you could catch a senator, you know, sort of nude bathing in the National Fountain or something up there, and he's got these people that will spin it and say, well, actually, he was uh, just supporting this new suds and cleanser in his constituency. I mean, they spin everything instead of, you know, something being real, something being honest, something authentic coming out. And I know there's this, is that not your heart cry for the real thing? For the real thing. So Nathaniel responds that way to Jesus. And, and he, about Jesus, he says, I don't believe anything good could come from that place. And so when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he identifies that honest heart. And so Nathaniel, not understanding who he's messing with, says to Jesus, verse 48, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, and I am translating this a little bit different than some people had. He says, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And what that word saw means is new. Now, see, I've I've played a little bit. Don't give me NIV. That'll mess my message up. Give me New King James. I'm serious. They're written different ways. Any scripture I'll have up there, I need. Or King James is good. But what Jesus was saying was, when you responded to Nathaniel about me, I heard you. In other words, it was a supernatural gift of the Spirit that Jesus employed to capture Nathaniel's heart. So here's what Nathaniel says after that, because it took him by such surprise. He instantly says in verse 49, Rabbi, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see, what? Heaven open, and the angels of God doing what? Ascending and descending upon who? The Son of Man. Now, the heaven open and, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man goes back to what I shared last night about Jacob's ladder. How many of you heard that? Last night about Jacob's ladder. How many of you are familiar with the Genesis reference to Jacob's ladder? Jacob had an encounter with, with God and saw a ladder going into heaven. He saw a connector. And on that connector, there was angelic help, and the angels were going which direction first? Up and down. And the idea is the angels are here now. And they've always been here now. And according to the book of Hebrews, they are servants, ministering spirits for the heirs of salvation. Which means, whether you realize it or not, whether you've seen them or not, whether you've discerned it or not, you have got angels assigned to you to help you. Angels who have the capacity to climb this ladder into the heavens, get something for you, and bring it back. And that was Old Covenant, Old Testament, thousands of years ago. Who's with me so far? 
Throw that verse back up there. But Jesus enlarges on this, and he said that those angels of God will do what? Ascend and descend upon who? The Son of Man. And here's what Jesus was saying. I'm Jacob's ladder. How many of you have received Jesus? You've got Jesus inside. Has anybody got Jesus inside? Who's got Jesus inside? Do you have Jesus inside, Mr. Flip-Flops, in the wintertime? <laughs> Does anybody have Jesus inside? Guess what you have the potential for, you Jesus inside people? You have inside of you access to the heavens. And I'm just preaching logically. If Jesus is Jacob's ladder, if angels go up and down on Jacob's ladder, if a ladder is a vehicle of access in two places at the same time, where you are and where you want to be, and then that ladder's inside of you, you are having access and are currently where you are and where you want to be. But if you don't see it, you're just a bump on the log with the same problems everybody else has, and you're moaning and belly aching and complaining. And the Lord's going, wake up! little Pentecostal growl in that last. You with me? And honest to goodness, this is a preamble to what I'm preaching. I'm just trying to catch up to speed. Now, I command the verse to reappear on the wall. Here's what it says about heaven. And hereafter you shall see what? Heaven what? Open. I read the Bible for 42 years. And it was only in the last 10 that I saw something about this verse of Scripture. Whenever I read it before, I thought, oh, you know, good old Nathaniel tells Jesus the truth that Nothing good comes out of Jesus' hometown. And then Jesus said, I heard you, and you're awesome. And Nathaniel goes, oh, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, yeah, well, you're going to see heaven open. And I thought, good old Nathaniel, man, he struck pay dirt. One of these days, he's going to have a vision. He's just going to be standing there, and suddenly he's going to have a vision of heaven open. Wham! He's going to go, woo look at that. Wham! And that was the fulfillment of that verse. Who's with me? Does that make sense? That's not what Jesus meant, though. Is there a super Walmart in town? Yeah, man. A friend of mine said, when I die, I want them to bury me in the parking lot of the super Walmart. And I said, why is that? He said, because then I'll know I'll see my family at least twice a week. Midnight one night, I said, I'm going to go to the Super Walmart and get me a Diet Pepsi. Because at home, they're open all the time. That guy says, no, you can't go. What do you mean can't go? He said, Walmart's not open. I said, sure it's open. The only day it's closed is Christmas Day. It's open all the time. No. Super Walmart closes at 9 o'clock, just like drugstore. No, man. 
It's open. Oh, it's closed. Listen, get in the car because you're going to see the Walmart open. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Heaven's open. He didn't say you're going to see it when it opens. He didn't say you're going to see it opening. He said you're going to understand that because of who I am and what I can do, heaven is always open. there's a whole lot of people believe heaven's closed. And it's not going to open till the rapture. I don't, you know, I'm not here to talk about that. But what you believe dominates your life. It rules you. You should see heaven open. That's just so amazing. I'm dumbstruck. Temporarily. Just just for a second. Put your big toe in John 1 and turn in Revelation to Revelation. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Revelation. 4. Oh, man, this is so good. I'm already enjoying it. And I'm not talking about my methodology. I'm talking about the reality. Now, uh, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ was written by John, the apostle. And he was, He'd been deposited on the Isle of Patmos as a punishment for being an apostle and a believer in Jesus. It could have been because they couldn't kill him. A lot of history about that. Verse 1. After these things, John said, I looked and behold, what did he see? Is that up there? A door. Now. See, that translation is a door was opened in heaven, opens past tense. It could read, I saw a door standing open. What John saw was what Jesus said, that heaven's open. The door into that realm is open. You don't open it. You don't close it. It's got nothing to do with what you like or don't like. No, it has a lot to do, your, your, he said, even with what you believe. No, no, here's the problem. What you believe determines whether or not you enjoy the benefit of the reality. Now, if you look, look in Revelation 3, verse 8. 
I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. God has a habit of opening doors no man can shut or shutting doors no man can open. The devil can't shut a door God opens. He can't open a door God shuts. He can tell you he can. He can tell you it's shut. And if you believe it's shut, it's shut to you because it's a faith opportunity. It's a faith action. It's a faith um, reality. Now, let's also look at uh, verse 20 of chapter 3 of Revelation. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and do what? If anyone hears my voice and does what? Opens the door, what will he do? I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. Where's that door? What's that door all about? Oh, well, that's the door of salvation. That's what we tell people. He's standing at your heart knocking. If you'll open the door, he'll come in. Okay, that's an application. But where is that door according to the Bible? The shut door. Let me ask it differently. According to the Bible, where is that shut door in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20? I want you to think, because if you'll think through this, the dawn will come. (laughs) It's on a church. There's a shut door on a church and Jesus is trying to get in. But what did you say you just said a minute ago? When God opens doors, nobody can shut them. When God shuts doors, nobody can open them. Well, this door is the door of your understanding. Heaven's door is open. Here's where we are. The the relationship the people in the earth have with the realm of the heavens are like living in adjoining hotel rooms with Jesus. What's between adjoining hotel rooms? Two doors. Their door, your door. Jesus is in heaven. That's his room. We're in earth. That's our room. His door's open. We have our doors shut. What's Jesus doing? Hello? And the door you need to open is the, oh my gosh, OMG, LOL, Jesus, my BFF, oh my G, oh my God, all those little, quit punching that in and get hold of God. I mean, come on, de-Twitter and enter the realm of the heavens here. Are you with me? Heaven's open. Everything you need's there. Okay, now. This is awesome. This is so much fun. Go back to John. So I want to talk about Jesus turning water into wine. Now, if you go back to the text, Jesus says this. To Nathaniel, you shall see heaven open and his angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Okay, the very next verse, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. 
Guess where Nathaniel lived? Cana of Galilee. Jesus took a whole troop of people to this wedding. There were at least 18 people. I believe Nathaniel probably went with him. It was his hometown anyway. And there Jesus turns water into wine. Guess what he was doing? He was proving to Nathaniel that heaven was open. Every miracle that ever ever happens is simply a transference of resource from one realm into another. You see, your faith does not create anything. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, your faith is the evidence that what you're believing for really does exist somewhere else. Your healing is in existence right now. Your financial provision is in existence right now. Your faith does not force God into a creation mode. Everything you need already provided. It's sitting somewhere. I had a friend one time, and this is a a subjective situation, but it makes a huge point. He was caught up into the heavens, and when he was there, he winds up in this warehouse, and in this warehouse, he sees hundreds of 1950s and 1960s brand-new cars. Now, when I say brand-new cars, 1950s and 1960s, you don't really hear brand-new cars. You hear restored old cars. Honestly, that's what you would imagine. But no, he didn't see restored cars. He saw brand-new 1950s and 1960s vehicles. And he said to the Lord, what are these? And he said, these are cars we had for people in the earth, but they never believed for them. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me read another verse here to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, those good works aren't um, like Boy Scout good works. You know, helping helping an infirmed person across the street in heavy traffic to keep them from getting run over. Although that would be a good work. No, I'm not putting that down at all. That's that's awesome. No, it's talking about the good works, the miraculous intervention of God. For we have his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand. Why? so that we should walk in them. Every single thing you need prepared. Every adventure you're supposed to go on with the provision and the protection and the the encounter already prepared by God. He's just saying, come on. Walk into what I have for you. Walk into your destiny. It's prepared. It's there. But for you to benefit, you've got to participate. 
you've got to expand your viewpoint of the realm of the heavens. It's not just the place you go when you die. It's the place Jesus told us that we should demand by prayer that what goes on in that place goes on in this place. Man, it was the company prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, we love praise. We love worship. God's to be honored. Your kingdom come, yes. That glorious day when the kingdom of God dawns on the earth and all the enemies are under his footstool. But that's not what he was saying. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. See, that that was a demonstrative proclamation, not a begging prayer. But see, until you're confident, until you're confident that what you need is there, your faith doesn't work at the level to receive it. But what you need is there. Deliverance from your children, there. Saved marriages, there. Secure employment, there. Sanity, there. Rest for your soul, there. Healing for your body, there. Now, how do you access what's there? Gee, I don't know. That's a good question, I don't have, no, 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 no. How do you access what's there? Well, financially, and, and rest, the offering's already been received. You know, this isn't trick. No, in your finances, you access the realm of the heavens. Let me tell you, I was telling Adam this day. Here's what I tell my church. I say, here's my job. My job is to get you to give some money to the church on a regular basis and be happy to do it. And I say, never give anything here under pressure or manipulation, ever. That's not the kingdom. But then I teach them about sowing and reaping. I teach them that even Jesus himself expected a return out of dying on the cross. And see, we are afraid to have an expectancy. Now, let me prove that. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And you, you, my dear man, are part of the joy that was set before Jesus so that he would endure the cross and despise the shame because he was the original corn of wheat that if it should fall into the ground, it would not die alone, but it would bear much fruit. It is a, it is a never-ending reality of the kingdom. When the poor widow needed a touch from God, needed deliverance, needed resource, she asked the prophet to help her. And the prophet says, what do you have? And she says, I got just enough little nothing here to eat and die. He says, well, let me give you some advice. Give it to me. 
How cold and callous that sounds. No. No, it was her answer. Her answer was to exercise faith, give to the prophet, because the prophet said, if you do that, the the cruise of oil will not fail, and the barrel of flour, or I don't know, cruise, barrel, flour, oil, it'll never run out until provision comes in a normal way. And so every day there was provision there where there was none before. Where did it come from? It was in heaven all along. And then there was the widow woman whose son was going to get sold into slavery. She asked for the prophet's help, and the prophet says, what do you have? And she says, nothing but. I like that. Nothing but. You know what Jesus needs to help you? You're nothing. Woman at the well. Jesus offers living water. She says, where do you get this water? You have nothing to draw with. And Jesus is thinking, nothing's enough for me. I'll change your life with nothing. You'll never take a sip of this water here before your life is so changed, you'll run back home and change your city as a, as a female, Samaritan. And so the woman says, how am I going to live? They're going to take my son as payment for my debt. You know my husband, he helped you all those years. And here I am, my, my children getting ready to be sold into slavery. What do you have? She says, I got a little bit of oil. He says, that's all we need. Go throughout the neighborhood and get barrels and buckets and jars and cans. Bring them all back here. Well, why? Because that's where we're going to put the oil in. Think about the faith it took her to go around the neighborhood begging for barrels and buckets. And What do you want it for? You put oil in it. Where are you going to get oil? I don't know. But see, almost every healing, almost every miracle, there's a requirement. Not to earn it, but to act in faith. Many people, they're healing provisions for them, but they won't take a step. They won't check their back in faith. They won't do something they couldn't do before. But the healing's there, the miracle's there, if you act in faith. Because it's in the realm of the heavens and it's just ready waiting for you. I, I can just see miracles. I can just see things in the heaven saying, Lord, let me out of here. I'll tell you another awesome thing that happens. Uh, but but, it, but it's, it can be humiliating. You, you can get intoxicated in God. And in that intoxicated state, God can put something in you so marvelous you can get up changed. You really can. I was... Uh, over at Double Ray's house and saw up on the mantel or books, books, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I saw a book about Catherine Kuhlman. How many of you know who Catherine Kuhlman was? I think it said she preached to 10 million people. Many, many people in her meetings got healed. How many did she heal? None. She moved in an atmospheric provision. She had learned how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in such a manner that she became earth's doorway to heaven's doorway so that the atmosphere of geographical locations would be so changed that people sitting in their seats would begin to get healed. And she would simply say, 
she flew, you know. People right over here are getting healed. And they were. I would talk like that if I could get a bunch of people healed. (laughs) Because she provided an atmosphere of heaven. She became a door. That's what God's calling us to become. The Campbellsville Vineyard is called to be a door. A door into the heavens. An atmospheric locale where God can move. Or he can move on people. And, and, and one of the things Catherine Kuhlman determined, and a lot of people didn't agree with her, the only problem was she had the experience and they had a theology. She said many of the people that got healed had no faith at all. They were just at the right place in the right atmosphere. It's like getting rained on. God promises that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You just got to be under the cloud. You got to be in the right atmosphere. God's going to restore to the church in many places atmospheres. And he's going to call people to steward the atmosphere. I just thank you, Jesus. You're so wonderful, Jesus. Now, the wedding at Cana, let's get into this because there's some keys here. It's going to help some of you break through. How many of you need a breakthrough? Let me ask that differently. How many of you need a breakthrough? <laughs> Do you need a breakthrough too? Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. The Bible says, Whatsoever you desire, when you pray, Believe that you receive. Now, one of the steps we skip is desire. And I think I know one of the reasons we quit desiring. We don't want to be disappointed. I was thinking about this old phrase, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Now, what does that mean? It means there's virtue and value even in a lost love. Well, there's virtue and value in desiring things that don't come to pass if it can somehow build in you a resilience and a demonstrative viewpoint to not stop desiring because if you don't desire something enough, you're not fulfilling the qualification for receiving the really big stuff. Whatsoever you desire. Oh, well, I tried that and it didn't work. No, it tried you and you didn't work. So I've heard people say that about tithing. And, you know, really it's not about a 10%. It's about how can 
a new covenant people be less generous under a better covenant with better promises than an old covenant people uh, who had lesser promises. Not about 10%. No, that, that sort of percentage indicates how much of a tight wad you really are, how little faith you really have. Thank you very much for uh, being overly aggressive here in those two comments, but... Uh, Now, whatsoever you desire. But see, what's happened is, is people say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. No, no, no. It tried you. And, and, and God wants to build your faith. You know what God's not here to do tonight is to rebuke anybody. He, he wants to encourage you. He wants to tell you, get back up. Believe again. Desire. Desire big. Desire small. One reason you need to desire small is you need to have um, some uh, experience with asking for little stuff and getting them. You need to appreciate the small things in life. You really do. It's a key to moving on. One time the Lord, I said, Lord, I want to see a really big miracle tonight. Give me some words of knowledge, really big miracle. He, he said, hang nail. I thought, hangnail? I'm not going to give hangnail. He said, well, if you don't give hangnail, I'm not going to give you anything better. And so I said, okay. Because, you know, you got a really bad hangnail. It bothers you. It still hurts. And that's God. God's interested in your hangnail and your hernia. I mean, you know. Hiccups, hernia, hangnail, all the H's he's concerned about. <laughs> sorry. No, I'm not apologizing. No, I'm not sorry at all. And so when I said, okay, I'll give that word, I'll stand up there and I'll say to this crowd of several hundred, the Lord wants to heal hangnails tonight. And before I got up there, he also said um, the effects of steroids. I thought, I don't even know what that is, what steroids do to people. I thought. So I said, hangnail. Then it also said, and the Lord wants to heal people who have been affected by steroids, improper use of steroids. And so one guy came up, and he was cutting the grass, and he tore his thumbnail, I think, half off messing, you know, that hurts. And he had pushed it back down on there, but it was swollen and messed up. And so we prayed for him. God healed him right on the spot. Bam, healed. And I thought, that's pretty awesome. And then there was a guy standing there, and I said, what's wrong with you? He said, well, I've taken a bunch of steroids. His name was John. I've taken a bunch of illegal steroids, and it scarred my brain, and it's affected my motor skills. I can no longer play the drums, and I can no longer play golf. That's what he said. And he was not a scratch golfer, but a good one, pretty good one. So we prayed for him, and I, I didn't know. I did. I prayed for him. You know, I was praying for him. And then I said, sit there under that anointing, which is a really good thing to tell people when you don't know what else to do, because it's true. 
sit there under that anointing and continue to receive a healing. The Lord's healing someone over here. And that was Friday night. He got healed, and he went to Byron Wicker's church. And during their ministry time, their drummer had already left. They knew him. He said, can I play the drums during, during the ministry time? He got up there and played the drums. And Becky said, God, we ought, to, we ought to add him to the ministry team. He's really good. Then he went out and played 18 holes of golf, I think shot in the 80s. I've never shot in the 80s. And then he went to the doctor, and they did an MRI, whatever those scans are, and the doctor said, what happened to you? He said, what do you mean? Well, you look like you have a new brain. I don't see the scarring. Well, see, we ought to be grateful for the little things. And God really will begin to give us bigger ones. But you need to desire. What's if you desire? Okay, Jesus is at the wedding at Cana. Let me get into this. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, count with me these words. They have, that would be two, no wine. Four words. Here's what she didn't say. Jesus, you need to do something, bud. It's time to break out of this lethargy and do some miracles. Here's what Jesus said to his mother. Woman? What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, that woman probably doesn't mean what it means exactly when we're in the South and, you know, but it sort of does. It's not, dear, I beg to differ. No. Now, let, let me tell you, when I was growing up in the 50s, my mother would come in the kitchen and she'd open the cabinet and she'd say, Robin, I'd say, yes, ma'am. The trash can is full. And I would say, woman, <laughs> what does your desire have to do with me? <laughs> nah, that would never happen because you'd hear two smacks. Her smacking me and me smacking the deck. That's right. You'd hear two. Bam, bam. And then I would say, yes, I see it is full. <laughs> But then Jesus' mother says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, here's, here's where Jesus' mom was. And here's where you need to be. And this goes against religion and some tradition. You need to stop taking no for an answer. Oh, Lord, some girls can pray. If it's your will... Give me a husband, please. Like, you're the only person in the world who can't get married. 
and there's a dearth in the earth. How about, and then it doesn't happen. You go, well, I guess the Lord doesn't want me to get married, or whatever it is. How about, hey, Lord, listen, I'm believing for man. Bring him on. <laughs> Times are wasted. <laughs> and I don't mean any old jack leg. I want somebody good. <laughs> I want him big. I want him handsome. I want him rich. I want him smart. I want him tender. <laughs> I need to tell you about how I got married. This is humili- utterly humiliating. But it is utterly encouraging. I was going out with the woman I wound up marrying, broke up with her six times. I had candy. I had issues. <laughs> and at one point, she said, you break up with me again, we're done, period, exclamation, point. So I broke up with her again. <laughs> and so... We were in the same small church, didn't speak for six, seven months, long, pretty good while. And then one day I was going to the Christian bookstore because I didn't know enough stuff yet. Actually, the Lord said to me, you know, Robin, you think you have all the answers. You just need to be quiet when the Lord's talking to you because you messed up. If he's talking to you, he says, I said, well, uh, well what? He said, you just don't know the questions. You don't got the right questions. So on the way to the bookstore, and and I had been in a six-month dearth or or absence of the discernible presence of the Lord. Who who knows about that? It's just like, I know there's a God somewhere, but he ain't around here much, which is inaccurate, but you feel that way. So the Lord said to me, the presence of the Lord comes into my car. I go, wow, I remember this. And the Lord begins to speak to me. He says, Robin, would you like to get married? And I'm thinking, yes. I'm really thinking, what is the matter with him? Of course, I, you know. He said, you want to get married? I said, yes. He said, well, what kind of woman would you like? I said, oh, well, Lord, you know, somebody good for the ministry. Maybe sings good, plays piano, teaches Sunday school. And he left. He didn't even say goodbye. He just left. I said, man, I got that answer wrong. I, I got that answer. And I was wondering, what is the deal here? I'm so confused. I thought I understood something about the Lord. I just, I just don't get any of this. He wants a yeah, and to tell him and no, and yes, and no, and here you. So a few minutes later, comes back in the car, and he said, come on. What do you really want? And I said, oh, that. 
Does anyone know what that is? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's some things people don't talk about in church. Have you ever noticed that, Adam? It's just not around here. Good. Well, I said, well, you know, Lord, like those pinups in Playboy. Now, that's a terrible thing to say. I'm not saying this is nice. I'm not saying it's awesome. I'm not saying it's noble. I'm saying he was trying to get me to be honest with myself and tell him the desires of my heart, right, wrong, or indifferent. Because all that baloney, I wasn't even tempted. Huh? All of that nonsense was plugging up the works. And I gave him the basic carnal man's description of a woman. Warts and all. He said, okay. See you later. I'll work on it. Now, truth is, I've got a lovely wife. And she's, you know, not sort of playboy you know, that loose kind of, you know, material. You know what I'm saying? She's not like, because, you know, honest to goodness, you don't want your wife taking her clothes off and getting her picture published all over the world. You want somebody more wholesome than that? Come on. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying real hard, but <laughs> no, no, no. But the Lord showed me this verse. You, you know, honest to goodness. Honest to goodness, what I'm saying is so utterly important. This whole thing about being honest. You see, we won't tell the Lord really what goes on in us because we don't understand already He forgives us in advance. You don't get forgiven because you repent. He's forgiven you. Your repentance helps you enjoy it. And all he wanted me to do is just be honest. And he wasn't saying to me, that's a noble desire, young man. No, he was trying to help me. And so I was being honest with him. That, that's vital. My goodness. The Lord is near unto all them that call upon him. There's no period. There's a comma. That call upon him in truth. The law came by Moses. But grace and truth came by Christ Jesus. That's what's married. There's no way you can be honest with God and not, not advance. There's no way you can admit the deep places in your heart and God turn away from you. He will turn towards you more and more. He will bring you out of dark places. He really will. I was in a dark place. I had literally, I had been depressed for months and that's how he brought me out and got me married to a beautiful woman. I, I can boldly say my wife and I have had so few arguments in 36 years, it scares me. I'm thinking, surely this has got to end somewhere. Now, we've had lots of problems in other areas. We've had lots of battles to fight. But when the Lord fixed that, he fixed it really good. And I have a feeling there is, um, there, there is an equation that the depth and profundity of your honesty with God releases to you the depth and profundity of His provision. My. So, 
Here's what Mary says to Jesus when Jesus says no. She says, boys, whatever he tells you, go do it, because I'm not done with him yet, with Jesus. She meant business. Jesus had already said no. Do you know you cannot find one place in the New Testament where someone asked Jesus to heal him that he did not heal him? Not one place. Not one single place. Not one. But times it seemed like no was his answer. And here's why I believe he's that way. In our condition, we have got to have the capacity to break through what I would call a presumed veil of God's indifference. It feels like he's indifferent. It feels like he doesn't care. Guess what? Those are feelings. And you'll be dominated by them or you will just walk right through them. And you'll be amazed. The devil will bluff you. He'll lie to you. He'll trap you behind rubber bars and tell you they're case-hardened steel until you push on them in faith and they wobble and fall off. And you go, what an idiot I was to believe that stuff. You just walk right through them. You believe God. You believe God. Now, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? That sounds like a no. Anybody, does that sound like a no? My hour's not yet come. The Son of God is telling his mother, it is not time for me to do what you think I should do. Guess what she says in her heart? It's what you think. I don't know how you read this. I'm so glad it's in the Bible. Whatever he says, do it. That's what she says. She ignores him. Here's the truth. When God says no to us about major things that the Bible clearly indicates he wants to do for us, you need to ignore his no just like he never said it. Now, you're thinking I'm crazy. No, I'm not crazy. I'm happy. And I'm happy because I don't believe what you believe. I'm happy because I found my way through some of these places. I'm happy because I decided losing my mind was not adequate. Because staying broke all the time was not God's best for me. But being depressed was not his highest calling in my life. There are many reasons I should be depressed. There are many reasons I should be bitter. Guess what? I'm not depressed. I'm not bitter. I'm really a pretty happy guy. You ask me why I'm happy. Well, I'll just tell you why. Praise God. My sins are gone. Oh, washed upon the blood of the cross of Calvary. As far away as my blood in still from the west. The sea of God forgetfulness is good enough for me. Praise God. My sins are gone. We put that on the next Ember CD. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says, you do it. Oh, awesome. Two more hours. 
Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus says to them, fill the water pots with water. What happened? How do you go from no to, all right, let's have a miracle. How do you? What happened there? Robin, that's dangerous. Driving's dangerous too. I get on airplanes, they could crash. That's dangerous. Life's dangerous. Anybody figure that out yet? That's what insurance is all about. It's telling you, watch out. (laughs) God's a dangerous person. Lord, if it be if that be you on the water walking, bid me to come. That is a crazy thing to say. What if it's somebody acting like God? You ever thought about that? Be a, a ghost. Yes, this is God. Come. <laughs> That's crazy. And the marvel of it is, Jesus walked in such a mark. He was such the king of heaven. He could support himself and Peter from the water. That's awesome. Don't clap. It's okay. <laughs> Fill the water pots with water. They filled them to the brim. Thank you, young man. Awesome kid. I'm going to put a blessing on this young man. (laughs) The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine on you and give you peace all the days of your life. Amen. Jesus says, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. They took it. The master of the feast tasted the water that was made in wine, did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. He said, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you've kept the good wine until now. How many of you want the good wine? Or you've got to walk through this door here where it doesn't seem possible. How about the um, the Syrophoenician woman? She begs Jesus to heal her daughter, and he ignores her. Round one. He, he She beseeches him again, and he says, what does he say? No, that was, that was round three. I didn't come for your kind. Basically, round two, she beseeches him again, round three, I'm not going to give what I have to the dogs. I'm going to tell you something. If one of you came up here and said, pray for me, and I said, no, I'm not going to give what I have to dogs, you would be indignant. That's the B word for a woman. Nobody likes that. The B word. No. But what do you do when Jesus calls you a dog? 
bark. See, if you understand it, there's no way to lose. Jesus, heal me. Ignored. Jesus, please heal me. Didn't come for you. Jesus, please heal me. I'm not going to give what I have to dogs. Woof, woof, woof. Oh, oh, oh. And he says, what faith? That's exactly what happened. And he he heals that woman's dog, daughter, that dog, her daughter. He will act like, or it'll seem like, I don't think he acts like it really. I think he's trying to show us that it seems like our deepest needs will never be met. And he seems distant and he seems unwilling. And he died for you to have what you want. He died. But there's this veil. There's this Adam's fall Veil of seeming ambivalence. But the truth is, heaven's open. The truth is, the devil can't shut the door. The truth is, the only door that can shut is the one in your understanding. C.S. Lewis said, in so many words, it's not that God or Jesus died for mankind. It's that he died for every man. Now, here's what that does. You've got to go from mankind... to the particular person he died for. The one whose hair he's counted tonight and could give you the total instantly. The one who knows the end from the beginning. Now, one of the things I thought, I thought, Lord, why really, why is life so complicated and so hard? Knowing the Lord, I believe it's this, there's a reason. There's something on the other side that he has for us that how we respond on this side enables us on that side. You know, life is tragic. There's no way around it. My father dropped dead at 62. I didn't understand it. Really didn't. When I asked the Lord to explain it, there's no explanation. Why did that happen, Lord? Heaven's no, you know, you could give me reasons and they're stupid. They're dumb. Well, heaven needed my dad. Heaven didn't need my dad. I needed my dad. But you know, Jesus doesn't explain. Here's what he does. He comes and suffers. He doesn't explain. He participates. Does that make sense? He goes through the worst. 
because he knows out of it will emanate healing. Out of it will emanate ultimate satisfaction beyond anything we could ever imagine. Out of it will emanate encouragement he can deposit in our lives to believe him right here, right now. The only thing that separates us oftentimes from an amazing encounter with God is simply pushing back all the I should have done, I shouldn't have done, pushing all those out of the way and just saying, here's my yes to heaven's yes. What do you need tonight? Yes. And all those things that explain to you why the answer is no are wrong. It's yes. 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 And all those things trying to destroy your life that you're resisting, your no is heaven's no. No, that will not continue. No, I will not go down that path anymore. No. I will not do that again, not because I'm strong, but because the Lord's strong and he is releasing right now.